and welcome to the Meeple in a Game Stack podcast, a podcast all about board games, whether it's getting into them, getting the most out of them, or just having a good time. This is podcast number 36, and as always, I am your host, Mitch Brown. But I am today, once again, joined by the very lovely Caitlin. Hey, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) You all didn't see the look of sheer panic that flashed across her face. Well, I just had a line I was going to say, and then I didn't work. So then I had to... Was it sup, dinguses? (laughs) How'd you know? No. (laughs) (laughs) And on today's podcast, (laughs) in the correct order this time, first we're going to be answering a community question. Then we're going to be talking a bit about what we've been playing recently. Followed by part three of Cory Kaneska Month with... His brand spanking new game, I'm pretty sure it's been out like a month, maybe. Sweet. Uh, And that is The Initiative, which we will try our best to keep spoiler-free, as it is a campaign game, and certainly has a lot of secrets to it. So we can't tell you about the and the (laughs) I feel like throughout this podcast, editing Caitlin and editing Mitchell, we'll put in, I don't know, like a sound effect if we end up spoiling... (laughs) So it'd either be this sound effect, boop, or this sound effect, ding. Oh, I thought you were going to make a sound <laughs> so that I could use that and put that all over the place, so. No, no, I was giving Editor Mitchell or Editor Caitlin, no, like, on. a space Let's to, like, a, put a, a thing. Let's get a sensor boop from you, please. <laughs> Which is the regular boop, ding. <laughs> all right, there you go. There's the two. <laughs> if, if you hear that, it's because you've heard something you shouldn't. Dun, no, dun, we'll dun. just we'll just use that sound instead of what we're saying. Yeah. So it's like if you were to read a no. document <laughs> and we crossed everything out in black ink that you weren't supposed to see. All right. So first off, we are continuing our community questions, answering questions from some of you guys, the listeners. So what is our question for today? Our question comes from David this time, and he asks, do you have a preferred game genre how do you make sure your podcast doesn't show how you're biased towards these? Sorry. Do you want to read the question I read over? that terribly. <laughs> I <laughs> promise he typed that a lot better than I just read it. Do you have a preferred game genre? How do you make sure your podcast doesn't show your bias towards these? That mm. is a really good question. It's a Ooh. tasty question. Pointed. First, I'm just going to say, if you have listened to any of Mitchell's podcasts or the 35 can definitely tell Mitch has a theme that he likes. Yeah. But, but, okay. You... Would you hazard a guess as to what that is? Hmm? Eh? Hmm? No, I'm going to let you answer it and then <laughs> I'll add my little spice. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this question, of course, has two parts. Do you have a preferred game genre? And then how, then the second part, how do you not have that bias show too much on the podcast? So for the first part, by game genre, I mean... I'm, I know what he means, but there's not necessarily genres. I mean, I guess there's puzzle games and, like, combat games like that. But at least for me, I find myself leaning more towards fantasy as a theme mm-hmm. around the games that I enjoy the most. I've always been kind of more of a fantasy guy than a sci-fi guy, frankly. As for my own tastes, I tend to lean more towards medium weight is kind of a thing I'm discovering as I play more uh, really long or really heavy games. As well as I tend to lean a little more thematic than more, yeah, more to thematic games than to themeless mechanical crunch. Mm-hmm. I think if Mitch had a mechanical 
genre of a game, it would be dice rollers. Whoa. Or work replacements. Hmm. I mean, yes, that's fair. Some of my favorite games have worker placement as a mechanic, as well as dice rolling. I love that little mm-hmm. little bit of chance in there. Yep. So that's also How kind about of a theme for yourself. Theme wise, I don't know if I go for a specific. I don't know, cute games. I want to say <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of my collection, which is one shelf on our bookshelf, contains. I guess family-friendly games as well. It's very much like Tiny Towns, Kings of New York, Patchwork, Cranium, Betrayal. I'm sorry I've mentioned that game like a few podcasts. So hey, no, it's your favorite <laughs> game. It's fun. So I, I guess, oh, Villainous. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely, I guess, more on the... Lighter side of yeah, things. The lighter side of games. I don't know if there's a unifying theme throughout those, apart from maybe cutesiness. Mm-hmm. I do think I also find... For my mechanical theme that I follow, I really like tile layers or uh, games that will constantly change. Tile flippers, puzzle <laughs> games. Because Patrick is a puzzle. I've really enjoyed Discovery or Discover Lands Unknown. So uncovering a randomized map. Mm-hmm. As well as I would put, I think you'd like tile layer games as well. You took to Carcassonne like a... Ooh, I, yeah, tile layers. Mm-hmm. They're my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So those are our biases laid bare before the world. Yeah. Or at least at the current moment. As for the second part of his question, part of that is I am, for the podcast, trying to try out a lot of games that I wouldn't normally be attracted to. Even like Agricola. Actually, a huge part of that is through the Game Designer Month is kind of forcing me to try out these more lauded games, more kind of famous games. And yeah, even for me, something like Agricola, I find myself getting hung up on the early 2000s art, we'll call it, to be very political about it. Yeah, like there's just some games that I really don't like gravitate towards. And through the podcast, I'm trying to force myself to kind of eat all food groups, all board game food groups, I guess, and try out more different things to broaden the horizons, and try to keep it a little more balanced as to what we cover. That being said, yeah, of course, I can't remove my bias entirely. This is all, this has been opinions. I do not report hard facts. I mean, apart from what games are designed by who, but of course this is all opinion, so I can't keep all bias out of it. I'm trying my best to have journalistic integrity and, and of course, not just you know, report the most biased thing and just straight up my opinions. I'm trying to be objective in how I review games and look at games as a whole. But of course, I don't think any source of media or, yeah, any source of media can really keep all bias out of it. And I'm trying my best to remain objective, but of course, it's going to be colored by my opinions. For sure. You do find a lot of times that you will also gravitate to the games that you enjoy. Like I said, I like tile layers, you like dice rollers, so of course you're going to gravitate towards those and play those. But when you do research games for your designer month or new games that are coming out, you do do a lot of research about them. So you'll read a lot of opinions of people who've enjoyed them, people who didn't enjoy them. Mm -hmm. You'll watch um, people on YouTube explain the game, how to play it. So you try to get the most out of any game by really researching into it, seeing how it's being reviewed by 
other people. And then we also try to play the game at least three times because it does really depend who you're playing with, what time of day you're playing with. Mm. Are you and your teammates hangry? They're just like, <laughs> are the universes of, aligned? You can, of course, have your uh, one particular play of game colored by any of those factors. Mm-hmm. And that can color your experience of the game. So, yeah, we try to review or play everything that we review or talk about at least three times, kind of before talking about it or giving a full opinion. Mm-hmm. We generally will say, well, we're looking forward to diving more into it if we haven't done more. As well as, yeah, for the designer months, I do try to get a varied sampling from each designer. Of course, some of them, Reiner, Knizia, have such a huge variety to choose from that it then becomes hard to cover everything. But within designers, generally they have a few families or groups. And then I, within that, I'll try to grab some old work and some new work from everybody to try to really vary everything. Mm-hmm. So to answer David's question... We try our best not to bring our biases in, but we are going to have biases and opinions because we are human. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Alas, we are human. Uh, But that was an excellent question, David. Mm -hmm. Um, If anybody else who is listening uh, wants to reach out and give Mitch or I a question, please reach out to him at Meeple Gamestack on Twitter, um, at Meeple and a Gamestack on Instagram and meeplegamestack at gmail.com. We go through and read the emails and the comments, and uh, we'll definitely answer any questions that come up. We've got a good response so far, so we're going through and trying to answer everybody's. So if you have put in a question, we will definitely get to it as -hmm. soon as we can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So thank you. Of course. And thank you, David, for that question. (laughs) All right. Now moving on to what we've been playing recently. And we actually only have one kind of new game apart from since the initiative is a campaign game. We have been going, (laughs) I mean, a little ham on it to try to get the whole campaign done for review. So it was a little more than three games for this one as the campaign for the initiative is 14. But we did find a little bit of time to squeeze in the time to play Railroad Inc. Deep Blue Edition. Designed by Hjalmar Hack and Lorenzo Silva. Published by Horrible Guild Games. And if those names sound familiar, it's because these are the two designers of The King's Dilemma. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) a little speaking of a wide variety of board Mm -hmm. game food groups. Sweet. (laughs) From the weighty and morally gray campaign game of debate game of The King's Dilemma all the way down to... Well, Railroad Inc. So, what Railroad Inc. is, is a roll-and-write game. And it's it's literally a roll-and-write game, as the basis of the game is, in Railroad Inc., you will have a 7x7 grid that on each side has three entrances. Two of which, I mean, depending, it'll either be two railroad and one road, or vice versa. And what you'll be doing is rolling four dice and then writing down their results onto the grid. And you'll be doing that seven times. Basically, you are just doodling a little network, a civil engineering network of roads and railroads across your 7x7 grid on a little, whatever they are, not whiteboard, but a little dry erase grid that comes with the game. While you do this, you will try to make the biggest network that you can and try to connect as many of these exits as possible, having to line up railroad to railroad and 
uh, road to road or highway to highway, I guess. And that's kind of the game, to be honest. Throughout the course of the game, you'll do this seven times. You roll the four dice and you have to use each one's face. So even if it's a part that you have no place for, you got to stick that chunk of road off in a corner somewhere or somewhere in the way. As you do this, you have to put these road... Of course, you have to connect a road to a road. You can't just have a road turn into a railroad halfway through. And you have to build off either from the exits or where you've already put stuff down. Throughout the course of the game, you have variety of special pieces that you can put out. There are six of them, and they're all four-way connectors, but they vary between, you know, all four being a road, all four being a highway, half and half, three-quarters, etc. And there's six of them, and you can use one per turn to add an extra thing and maybe hook up some connections, and you can only use one per round of this little game. And that is pretty much the game. It's a simple game of rolling dice and doodling a little network onto a grid. It's very much for everybody who has ever wanted to be a cartographer or an urban planner. This is your game. <laughs> <laughs> it takes the element of surprise with the dice rolling. Whoever rolls the dice has those four available, but everybody around the te- around the team, around the table, has to use those die. So everybody who's playing with you or if you're playing by yourself will need to use the same dice. So it's interesting to see everybody's different urban planning on their maps and to see how everyone uses their their pieces because you all have the same pieces. You're all placing the same pieces. Mm -hmm. It is interesting that, yeah, you are given all the exact same inputs and I don't think I've ever seen anyone's network be exactly the same or even close. Mm -hmm. And then the point system works with... Uh, the longest railroad that you have that is connected to one end or another. So a full complete railroad, uh, the longest actual road you have, and then your longest connection to ports, which include terminals that'll split off from railroads and streets. <laughs> yes, so not necessarily longest, it's the one that connects to the most. Get a huge score in this game, ideally you would connect all 12 of the ones that line the board. You also get bonus points for putting railroad directly in the middle of this. There's a three by three square, that's the exact center. And you actually lose points for every connection that you leave unconnected. If you just make roads to nowhere or railroads that stop halfway, you will lose a point for that. Because mm -hmm. your trains and your cars can't get anywhere. So with that description, Mitch, what did you find that you loved about this game? I really really loved to me I, I, maybe it's just the blue edition but i found this game really relaxing just like a nice doodling experience not worried about anything just drawing some roads mm -hmm. i also think too the art is very common quite beautiful mm, yes it's very i want to say monochromatic it is almost monochromatic because the deep blue edition which is the one that we had is almost exclusively white and then shades of blue. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful. The entire production is actually super satisfying as the dice are chunky and just kind of the right size. They come with these little dry erase boards that everyone has, as well as the nice markers that have little erasers on it, which to me kind of gave it a leg up on other roll and writes that expect you to just have a handful of pencils around all the time. It was nice to just have everything all in one nice little package. Very well done and very satisfying to use. Mm -hmm. To be honest, the design of this game with that simple rule set that I've basically explained the whole game to you and 
just how trimmed down the entire package is. It's a very small box and holds everything almost with no room to spare and comfortably all fits. It is an exemplary example of elegance or minimalism, I guess, within games. There's not an ounce of fat on this design, and it is wonderful for it. Yeah, just lovely. Just a lovely little game if you have a chance to pick it up, and you can play with one to six players, or just even by yourself during a lunchtime or whenever you have the time. It is a wonderful little game. Mm -hmm. Quite enjoyed it. I think it's fantastic, too, that you can play with one. Because of the dice rolling mechanic, it is randomized, and you're just trying to best your score. Mm -hmm. So really good game, definitely in quarantine, or if you just want to relax, or you don't want to game with your game group. This works as a one-player, because you've played it a few times Mm -hmm. as Mm one-player, and we've played as two people, and it just works. So I'd be excited to see how it works with a larger group. But I feel like it'd be the same as Cartographers, where that one works in from like one to a hundred people. Mm-hmm. The big the big difference here, and maybe my only point of criticism, is Cartographers, as compared, which is another roll and write where you're doodling a town and it yep. expects you to have a zillion pencils to draw on these paper things. But in Cartographers, you can get results that let your neighbor draw on your map, and with Railroad Inc., there's no interaction. Part of why it scales down to one is because it doesn't matter who... I mean, who's going to roll the dice does very slightly affect, I guess, the probability and all that. But within the rules of the game, there's not really any way to interact or affect your neighbor's maps at all. And you think that's a negative? As a game, I enjoy this game so much. It's just me trying to, once again, remove bias and be objective. (laughs) And evaluate it as an interactive experience. Okay, I see. And it's not that interactive of an interactive experience. So if that's something that you want to be screwing with your neighbor's maps or anything like that, maybe try a different one. But for what this is, it is excellent. Mm -hmm. I do think this one then, on that point of you can't screw with your neighbors, then this just becomes a battle of wits. Mm -hmm. That's true. It does make the problem solving or puzzle solving all the purer because there's no external factors that are going to throw a wrench in your stuff mm-hmm. it is same inputs and then whatever output you can possibly make with totally so now you are the only one that's in control of your destiny in this game you know mm-hmm. you're the one that's going to optimize your city and find hopefully find the most effective and efficient route <laughs> for your trains and it's your roads spoiler you probably won't <laughs> But I do like to, um, I know you said that you're kind of missing that aspect of passing over or kind of like variability. I think it's really cool to have different dice. And maybe because we got multiple versions of this game. Yes. So we actually, I kickstarted it and we received the uh, second version that we'll be talking about next week is Railroad Inc. Challenge. And that adds a few more things to the game. But I think lakes are in the one that we have, though. Ah, yes. But in each version, there comes with two expansion dice, or two sets of two expansion Mm -hmm. dice. So within the blue, there's rivers and lakes that you can spice into the game for more variability. Yeah. So I think that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. With all this product and how great it is, it does even include expansions in it if you want to change things up and try something else. The lakes and the rivers are... I mean, maybe it's the water theme, maybe it's just blue, so they intentionally did that, but the both of them are kind of 
a little looser with the rules and kind of help you in a way. Both rivers and lakes are kind of <laughs> weirdly relaxing. I don't know why this game yeah, just you're like just tranquil zens right now. me out. <laughs> I don't know. It's just nice. Yeah, if you're having a stressed day, I guess you can play this one. I was going to say, though, my thing, that's not really a negative, but if I had to warn the people, is this game will take longer than you think it will take. <laughs> and I only say this because Mitch and I will play this during lunch. And maybe it's because we have sometimes we get analysis paralysis or we're trying to like optimize our cities or our plan. But like eight or ten times, we don't make it within our like lunch time. That's true. So I don't know what the recommended time is for this game. But depending on how thinky you are, this game can be a bit longer. There's only seven rounds in it. So seven dice shakes. Mm -hmm. And if everyone just immediately plunked down whatever pieces they had, it would be a very short game. But mm -hmm. yes, if you take longer to try to fully optimize and try to get the absolute best result, it will take longer. Yeah, but as you can hear from Mitchell's voice, he's tranquil, he's serene. <laughs> so a leisurely pace. Just be ready for a leisurely paced game because it is very relaxing. Yeah, I don't know why this one just did that to me. Such a... Yeah, you can listen to all the other podcasts, but you won't see him as serene as you've seen him right now. <laughs> Maybe I need to do audiobooks in between uh, <laughs> playing rounds of this game. Ah, uh, yes. Very relaxing. Yeah. No, it's it's a fantastic game. And if is there a way to get it if you didn't back it on Kickstarter? Is it coming out later? Yes. So the Kickstarter was for the uh, railroading challenge, and those oh, okay. are going to be publicly available. But Blazing Red and Deep Blue are the kind of first iterations. I guess the challenge ones are kind of railroad ink too, and I think those will all be available soon. So, mm -hmm. so on our scale of meeples on a game stack, I'm gonna keep with the scale, everybody. <laughs> okay. I'm not. We're we're I'm we're working workshopping how exactly to rate games or whether we're doing yeah. numbers or not. Mine are gonna be meeples on game stacks. <laughs> all right. Well, how many meeples on how many game stacks is it? No, no, it's just going to be up to 10 meeples on one game stack. Mm. So I think Railroad Inc. for me, currently, 8.5 meeples on a game stack. Oh, that's yeah. good. If you can have a 0.5 meeple. <laughs> See, I love how you set out the 10 and then immediately didn't follow that. What, 8.5 <laughs> out of 10 meeples on a game stack? <laughs> right. What? Usually on a scale of 10, you don't do half numbers, but that's fine. Uh, here on Meeple in a game stack, I thought we were serene and calm. <laughs> you live your life. You play those half meeples. I will. Those are the ones that you accidentally like are slightly broken when you receive them, uh, or they're like tilted at an oh. odd angle, and you're like, why is this person doing like a limbo? Uh, everyone's favorite meeple, the one that's slightly leaning. A little janky, and I kind of dig those meeples, so <laughs> All right. that's the point five. It, it's eight and one janky meeple. <laughs> one janky meeple. All right. <laughs> Well, after that... Can it get any better in our feature game? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, not to tell, but mm, yeah, maybe it can. Uh, now on to Cory Kaneska Month, continuing. So just as a refresher, these designer months are where we're focusing on board gaming's... Originally, it was their greatest designers and big names, but really, I kind of want to branch out from that. And Cory Kaneska, of course, has been around for a while and has made some like really tremendous games but i mean in the effort of you know trying different things and varying our tastes we're 
uh, trying to discover new designers and yeah, choosing this month to focus on Corey Kaneska and his work. And this is the third part of which where we focused on the initiative. <laughs> yes. Have you ever wanted to be Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys? Maybe a character in Scooby-Doo? Well, now you can with the 90s themed Jumanji based actually Jumanji inspired yeah not based Jumanji inspired game called The Initiative so what The Initiative is is a it's a mystery problem solving game it's partly a campaign of puzzle solving games you are kids in the 90s who have bought a mysterious board game from a garage sale and you and your three friends decide that you are going to play this game and the story unravels from there Mm-hmm. and i guess jumanji inspired should i guess give hints as to where the story of this is going but as for the game itself it is accompanied by a comic book that leads you kind of through the story aspects of it what you do in the game is move around a grid trying to pick up clues these clues will be basically symbols and you unlock them off of a like a guess who like little flipper in that is held the secret and the thing that you're trying to solve in this mission it's the point of moving around the map and trying to Mm -hmm. solve this clue it's going to be what's the password or what's the answer to this thing or unscramble the day each mission and each game of it will give you another one of these puzzles to solve you have to find the right clues to unlock for each symbol on it because you'll just get a rows of symbols you flip the thing and then that'll give you maybe a letter maybe a number maybe it's several letters and whatever's revealed will be a clue maybe it's just the answer maybe it's a clue to solve the puzzle maybe it's a or something every time it's different but it will just lead you to a new clue and a way to develop the game and within trying to figure out this this board, uh, this like you said, was it guess who board you called it? Yeah, I'm yeah. calling it like the the wheel of fortune reveal board. Oh, yeah. Um, we're trying to figure this out. Throughout the game, you get the ability, or you get taught different boops and different ding and different ways of figuring out clues. It's definitely kind of like what was it, Mensa? Is that the what Mensa? Thank you. Oh, yeah. The genius group, Mensa. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like that for kids. Like, just toned Uh, down. uh, uh, uh. I wouldn't say necessarily that it is for kids. I mean, it's Mensa for everyone else, I'd say. I don't know if this game is specifically aimed at kids. But what you'll be doing is trying to solve this little uh, guess who Wheel of Fortune board, getting the answer to the thing. You only get one guess, so you have to get whatever the answer to this riddle, clue, whatever it is. You have to get it exactly right if you do. It'll give you good results or bad results. But the hard part is moving around this board that you'll have, moving your character around and trying to pick up these clues, you'll encounter various obstacles. Maybe it's traps, maybe it's enemies. It's not always clear what's going to happen exactly. So how you'll control this board and move your characters to find these clues to solve this flipper puzzle is all done through cards. You'll draw cards from a deck. There are three suits, and they'll be numbered 1 to 12. 
to take actions, you have to play these cards onto one of four piles. To be able to play a card to that pile, the suit actually doesn't matter, it's just numbered. You have to play a higher card than what is on there. And through these, through this ascending thing, it actually has an inbuilt timer. So not only are you trying to solve this puzzle, figure this thing out, and get the clues for it, you have a limited amount of time to do so. You have a limited amount of moves. So what will happen sometimes is you might only get half of the puzzle and still have to make a guess. How this works is as you move through the deck, once you have moved all the way through the deck and played all those cards onto the piles, sometimes emptying, taking actions to empty them so you can play more cards, once you've gone through a full deck, you mix in four of these timer cards, one of which has two, two timer symbols, the others of which only have one. And you mix those into the deck, reshuffle, and keep playing. But as soon as you draw the third timer symbol, which can be on the card that has two or the other ones, you've lost. You've lost the mission. You don't get a chance to guess. You don't get a final anything. It's over. So as soon as this deck gets flipped over into danger mode, basically, it becomes super tense to be able to draw cards, and you're going to want to be as stingy as possible with your actions, trying to draw the littlest or the least amount of cards that you can. And so you'll play this game. You'll move around the map, avoid other spy enemies, pick up these little file folders and unlock clues, make a final guess at the, the flipper board's riddle or question, and see whether you're right or not. Once you'll do that, it guides you through forks in the story. You read different pages from the magazine. You uh, flip up secret cards and get different clues to different riddles and move your way through a campaign that guides the story of the initiative. Yeah, so that is the initiative, the latest game. What did you think of it, Kim? I really enjoyed the initiative. I think for me, when I was younger, I loved playing Nancy Drew games and trying to figure out puzzles. I had the Menza for kids cards, so I was always trying to crack codes that they had. So this game really helped feed that want to be a code cracker or a detective. It really, really triggers that discovery side in you. And I think that's what I'm finding with Corey's games is a lot of it is discovery. And I really, really, really like that. I also love the art of this game, that the rule book is kind of like a comic, which is really cool. Everything kind of immerses you into the story and into the game itself, kind of giving us the Jumanji effect. So yeah, I guess it is a little meta how the characters in the game are playing a game and getting absorbed into it, and you are the yeah. person playing the game that they are playing. Yeah, Inception. <laughs> um, yeah, and like like Mitch said, without giving too much away or doing our bleeps or our bloops, hopefully <laughs> not, I'm saying soul sentences, it's throughout the game you will develop better code cracking. They will give you uh, cards that will teach you different and a way to help you with more puzzles to help solve more pages of the comic and different clues. So that is a really cool way to bring and to develop a legacy game that you're going to play 14 games of, or, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 14. Yeah, uh, uh, 14 games 14. of. Yeah, this game was a thrilling experience. It really f excited that, yeah, uh, you said, like, kid part of you that loves solving puzzles, and I can actually see kids who play this getting like hugely into puzzles after it. It is very rewarding to solve these. And when you're right and move your way through the different levels. Yeah. Levels of it as well as, yeah, the integration of the comic book is the 
best delivery of a story element to any of these puzzle or escape room or adventure games that I have seen yet. It makes you actually care in a way that having some text of you solved the thing at the end doesn't. Through the use of this comic, it crafts a story and it makes it incredibly absorbing and immersive. And yeah, it makes you care about the results a lot more than other puzzle games. Mm-hmm. I would give a thing is don't judge this box by its cover. It does look young. And I want to say like hip with the kids, but it looks young. So maybe, maybe if you were middle-aged or you're a bit older, like you could look at it and be, and shy away from it, that it looks too, I don't want to say like kitty or teen. It's certainly aimed at general audiences a lot more than a lot of hobby board games tend to be. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I can see that kind of turning people off, but, and even with you saying it's Mensa, Mensa for kids... It is not Mensa for kids. These Some of these clues and puzzles start to get pretty challenging at times. I'm just saying it's not full. They help guide you when needed. I'm saying it's they're kind of hand-holding you, but not handing-holding you. They give you an opportunity to feel accomplished, but are there to help. Yes, they do have excellent ways of steering the story and giving you hints when you need it. Mm-hmm. That was very well done in this. Yeah, so it is certainly solvable, but it gets tough. And another leg up this has on other adventure or escape room or that kind of puzzle story game is that the board game aspect of it is challenging and is fun. The moving around and solving clues part, the unlocking stuff to try to guess at this clue is really fun. So the actual, it's not just puzzling things out, there's actually a board game kind of tied into it or more more of a mechanical game to even be able to guess at these things and that was really excellent uh, as well as the story in this comic it kind of leans into some i want to say i mean healthier themes some good moments in it and it kind of portrays some things in a mature and kind of healthy light it's hard to talk about story and what it did good without you know telling you what happens so it teaches be... lessons well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it relates to people, to your feelings. You read the stories of these characters and see how they develop and sometimes can connect with them, which is fantastic from um, a book or a movie, but let alone a board game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, having moments where we're reading something and Caitlin goes, oh, wow, that's you, or vice versa is really interesting and really well done. It's very well written certainly. Yeah, including the puzzles as well, not just the story of this book and the art of it. The puzzles are challenging and clever, and you will certainly feel clever when you can solve them, or if you can solve them. And also, a nice touch for the campaign aspect of it is that the story moves along regardless of whether you win scenarios and can solve them or not. It doesn't just force you to play the mission again if you can't solve the uh, riddle or question or whatever it is in a way that the punishment is playing the game, you're just going to play the game and you'll have 14 games of it. The campaign isn't going to get longer or shorter because that's how many rounds of it there are. But what result you get will matter. It it branches, it forks, and different things can happen depending on how well you did or what you did in this this little campaign. Mm -hmm. And that is really, really excellent. 
as well as this campaign system, it gives you the characters, but it doesn't assign players characters, which lets you, you could play this as a single player thing and play through it all solo. You can add players, you can drop players, you can... Having that level of flexibility really takes the edge off of it being a campaign game and that 14 game commitment if you want to see it all the way through, which can be a big downside of campaign games is that they have a you know bigger commitment tied to them. And with that said, is I guess we could... Uh, segue very smoothly into is there any problems you have with the game of course mentioning yeah the campaign aspect of it it does have that kind of commitment behind it i mean it does the flexible system so that is largely negated but it's something to consider Mm -hmm. i would even say that near the middle of the game to later on it can feel a little repetitive i mean the maps do change the enemies change but you're still going through a map picking up clues to figure out a puzzle. So I did find midway through, I was getting a little restless or a little bored, uh, just kind of playing just the same thing over. But once you guess a clue and (laughs) figure out the puzzle, you suddenly are just revitalized with energy and (laughs) go another round. So that's, I guess, a con and a pro. (laughs) Yeah, so certainly it is a puzzle-solving game, and that is certainly the meat of it, um, and it's just something to be aware of before you go into it. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're going to play this game, you have to be in the right headspace. Can't be tired. You can't <laughs> be angry at your partners if you're playing other things. Like you have to go in there with your heart just set on being a detective. Because we did try one game night to play this after a long day of work, and we were both exhausted. And we couldn't even, like, figure out the clues. We, like, weren't working efficiently. And we realized that this game is better when you're fueled and your mind is ready. <laughs> it's certainly you do have to bring your... Something you have to bring your A-game to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really give it your all because, yeah, it, at its heart it is a puzzle game. And if you're a little tired or uh, not in the right headspace for it, that can make it a little more of a frustrating experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Something else I'd point out that can, I mean, can make it a frustrating experience is a large part of the setup of each mission of this or round or game is randomization, which can lead it to being harder at times, depending on which cards you get or whether all the clues you need are on the hard end or more spread out. And that randomization can lead it to, at times, the difficulty spiking up and down throughout the course of this. Of course, across 14 games, you'll see the breadth of that. It'll kind of even out. But if you try on your first game and it just seems really hard, keep playing because the randomization can make it much more hard or less so, depending. Mm -hmm. And depending on your strategies, too, each character has their own ability that they can do each game. And I think for us, for you, your main thing for some reason was always go for the piles that have the most. and. Sometimes that wasn't the best way to work a mission, but your mindset was always to go where the highest quantity was in like one room. And there's so many other rooms. I think it's also strategy in trying to figure out how to work with your character and how to work with your partner and their character and efficiency. Mm -hmm. And just the the, the how to work the system of the game in your favor does take a little bit of learning and... Yeah, certainly the piles of clues aren't always the most rewarding and nothing like (laughs) digging through a whole bunch in one area just to turn up nothing. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly something I had to learn over the course of it. Mm-hmm. I do think for Corey's games, these make fantastic gifts. Like, I would definitely gift this game to anybody. And I think I said that for Discover as well. <laughs> yes. But these games are easy to learn. They're fun to play. And they're kind of brain benders in some cases. And I do really think that this game would make a fantastic gift, would make a fantastic game to bring to a board game night or to introduce people to. It's a great gateway game, I feel. Oh, absolutely. If you know anyone who loves like puzzles, they're going to love this. And I guess giving away what we thought about it, yeah, this would make an excellent gift. And I think anyone who gets this and gives it a, a, a try will probably really enjoy it. As well as with Corey's work, in what I've played so far in Discover and Initiative and even Star Wars Rebellion, I kind of get the gist of his design being kind of a synthesis of like old sort of board game ideas made new and kind of polished up. Star Wars Rebellion at times felt like an old, where they'd have like lead miniatures old war game and had like hints of that sort of design in it. Discover and the initiative seem like old adventure games of where you would, you know, roll and move and then flip random events out of stuff. Like, it just kind of gives the feeling of, like, the 90s games that you dug out of your uncle's cupboard back in the day. And while it does give that, it removes all of the mechanical heftiness or awkwardness that was often encountered with those experiences. Really, this is a... And I guess moving to what we thought of it, this is a really tremendous experience, and I had a great time playing it. Mm-hmm. Bonus for this game as well is that when you finish the campaign, it doesn't have to be over for you. It creates create other stories you can play with this board game. So unlike other legacy campaigns where one and done, you know, you've played it, you spent your mm. your money, you've played your ten games, that's over. Not with this game, you can continue playing for another. I think. 14, 28, 24, 21, another 20, <laughs> above 20 uh, stories and missions that will lead you to more clues and more. So you can continue playing after you play with the campaign, which I thought was a fantastic way to not only end the game, but to begin a new chapter. Oh, absolutely. As a value proposition, what you get here is, I mean, already the 14 game campaign is a tremendous experience and it's super fun and We had a blast playing it. But even then, from a value thing, that's not done. It's not even like a regular campaign game where you're just going to chuck it after. There is still lots of game left after you're done that campaign. Mm -hmm. And lots to enjoy and check out. Yeah. This game was smart. It was brilliant. It was thrilling and exciting. And it definitely gets a nine-point janky meeple on a game stack. (laughs) Honestly, I mean... The rating system might change and the it might be whatever. It might be adjusted in the future. It can but have a Mitchell a Mitchell rating and a Caitlin rating. <laughs> Caitlin's are meeples on GameStack and Mitchell's are We haven't quite worked that oh, out yet. We're working on that patent pending. <laughs> but if I had to give it meeples on a GameStack, I'd give it a ten. This is probably the most fun I've had with a game so far. It rivaled the King's Dilemma for mm-hmm. how enjoyable of a campaign that it moves through and the story stuff and getting attached you will care and solving these puzzles is really fun all wrapped into a more streamlined and very cleverly written more approachable game 
really this game blew me away and I really hope it does well because this is a 10 out of 10 meeple. Yeah, this is a tremendous experience and something that you have to try out for yourself. Mm -hmm. I do say if you're going to play with another person or with a team is to get different thinkers. And the way I'll describe (laughs) that is Mitchell is fantastic with words. He just has a good problem-solving brain for letters and for rearranging, whereas I have a definitely a numerical brain. I love numbers, love puzzles that deal with numbers. And so we worked really well with the puzzles because he had the one side and I had the other. Mm-hmm. So that'd be my hot hint for y'all is to find your <laughs> equal in... Uh, and thinking on the opposite side of the thinking scale. You know, much like you need many board game food groups, you may need many food groups of people to kind yeah, of play this Yeah, diversity, you know, get, get that in there. But actually, that is a solid point. We had a tremendous time playing this, but we also complemented each other very well and mm-hmm. worked as a team well. So yeah, getting different perspectives. I do love the how flexible it is and you could play it as a single player game but i do think this one would be better as a two three four player game can we appreciate that it's another cooperative game (laughs) that's true i think cooperative games are missing out (laughs) in this board game world and maybe i'm just haven't found enough of them but Corey does a fantastic way of creating these cooperative games and it's nice to play with somebody and not against somebody Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, the competition is, of course, always nice when you play against someone, but it's also nice to have someone as your ally and for you guys to be fighting for the same goal. Of so. course. Fun shared is fun magnified, and we certainly had, you know, our both groaning together after we just drew too many clocks out of the pile or cheering and high-fiving each other as we just in the nick of time managed to solve that last clue. Mm-hmm. It was a excellent time and one that I would highly recommend. And that is The Initiative, designed by Corey Kaneska and published by Unexpected Games, Corey Kaneska's new company that he's working for and making games for, I think it's his company. Is this readily available? Like anybody can buy it oh, anywhere? Oh, totally. Yeah, it's out everywhere now. And it's, sorry, it's new? Yes, it's brand spanking new. Canada got it at the beginning of april i believe and it had a worldwide wide release a few weeks before that so it's out it's everywhere go get it yeah go get the game it is fantastic and we've been we've been enjoying it we have finished that campaign and then we'll eventually move on to the other the other little stories or little that (laughs) they put in um just got to give our melons a little bit of rest and maybe play some some railroad ink to (laughs) relax after this thrilling an innovative experience. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Corey, for a fantastic cooperative game. Mm-hmm. Very much enjoy- enjoyed. And that's going to do it for our podcast. As always, big thanks to the artist Grumpy Snorlax for the use of their song Cerulean as our intro and outro music. If you guys like the podcast and want to help it grow, please share it with somebody that you love or know that loves board games. Uh, give us a like or anything where you can rate the podcast, ideally four or five stars. But, I mean, you rate it however you feel. You like it. <laughs> I mean, it could be five. It's an option. Some shameless self-promotion. <laughs> uh, definitely rate it. It helps us with the algorithm for sure to show up when people do search for uh, board game podcasts. So, please, of course, share and like 
and rate it. And tell a friend and go play the initiative. Oh, go great. play board games, everybody. <laughs> yeah, go go have a good time, even if it's just by yourself um, or with a friend or family member. Play the initiative. Play Railroad Inc. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out some of Corey's games. We do have one more week of games <laughs> from him. Yes, we do. Well, well, sort of. Kind of You'll to. have to find out what that's going to look like <laughs> next week. On the podcast. <laughs> but as always, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. So we're going to need a longer boop. All right, give me a long boop then. No, no, I'll do it at the end so you'll have it. But it'll be one of those two sounds. Boop. Perfect. That actually sounds a lot like the boop anyway. <laughs> I'm going to have to bleep a lot of stuff here. Oh, I did the outro music too early. <laughs> it's like the hook, you know, where they're doing their speeches and the giant hook comes out. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just how you'll let me know you're done. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah.